0: Yes, the scriptures from Mark, chapter four, verses 21 through 34. He said to them, now that's Jesus. Jesus said to them, do you bring a lamp in to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All but itself, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is God's word.
1: Please uh, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, Chapter Four. And as you do, let me pray for our time in the Word together. Lord, thank you that your kingdom is growing and is here even when we can't see it. Help us to approach you now by faith, believing in what we can't see, believing that you are real and that you are working. And I pray that we would come with, uh, with large measures to be filled by you. In Jesus' name, amen. If there really was an all-powerful God, surely he would be able to reveal himself to the whole world in a way that would be unmistakable and leave no room for doubt. Have you ever heard someone say that? A skeptic, uh, an agnostic, someone who who just wants more evidence, if only there was more evidence, then they would believe in God. Uh, one one of such skeptic online said this that I read this week. He had an, an idea for how God might reveal himself so that we could believe. He said, God could descend during the Super Bowl halftime show and proclaim that he exists and prove it by naming the time and location of each tornado that will touch down, pun intended, during the next 12 months and to make it even clearer he he could give the exact high and low temperatures of chicago illinois for each day of the year for the next 12 months if those things happen then it will be overwhelmingly clear that the christian god exists thank you asher then people could choose to follow him or not being presented with indisputable evidence of his existence Now, that may not be the best idea in the world, but the point stands, um, why doesn't God make himself more obvious? Why does God remain hidden? If he truly wants people to believe him and follow him, um, why not make himself as plain as day, just totally unignorable? Why leave any room for doubt? And that's not just a theoretical question. Many of you have uh, close friends, family members, people in your life who who don't believe, and you think, God, if only you would just make yourself a little more real to them, then they would see, then they would turn and believe in you. Or you look around at the, the wreckage in our world and the conflict going on, you think about the war between Hamas and Israel or the Russia's invasion of Ukraine dragging on and on and on. And you think, surely if if God revealed himself in a powerful way, a lot of this would stop. You know, if the if the parent walks into the room, the kids would stop fighting, right? And it could be even more personal. You may be asking, is God real? Is Jesus real? Is he really worth Following? Or maybe, where are you, God? Where are you right now? Why can't I see you more clearly? This is not a new question to us Americans in the 21st century. This is an age old question. Um, Jesus' own disciples were wondering the same thing. It's clear from other parts in the gospel that they were waiting for Jesus to make the big halftime show reveal to show the world his power and his glory once and for all, right? But here in Mark 4, verses 21 through 34, Jesus tells us that the kingdom doesn't work that way. He doesn't work that way. The kingdom of God is hidden, and that's on purpose. There's something about the kingdom being hidden from most people's eyes that actually God intends. And in this section, we have a series of four parables, really two short sayings and two longer parables, in which Jesus explains why the kingdom of God is hidden. And so uh, he says the kingdom of God is ignorable, it's unimpressive, it's disbelievable if you want to. And you might think, why? (coughs) Why not just make it obvious? Why the riddles and the parables and the hiddenness? And, you know, just come right out and and show yourself to the world. But Jesus said it's actually better this way. And I want to show you, hopefully convince you this morning uh, that it is. So let's come now and learn from Jesus in Mark 4, uh, 21 through 34. And believe it or not, I left my Bible in my backpack. So I'm gonna steal this one. Okay, verses 21 and 22. Let's read those again. This first mini parable tells us that, it reassures us that God is not trying to, to make himself hard to find. He's not playing hard to get. And he won't be hidden forever. He said to them, verse 21, Do you bring a lamp in and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. The kingdom is hidden so that it can be revealed. Weird but true. Now a word-for-word translation of verse 21 would be, does the lamp come in order to be put under a bowl or a bed? Um, if If Mark was trying to say that... <coughs> the lamp is brought out, that's a really awkward way to say it, but he's, he's not. He's intentionally using these words to say, uh, to remind us, Jesus is the lamp. He has come. He is the light of the world. And one day he will be put on a stand, just as you, you would light a lamp and put it up high so that it can light the whole room of a house. That is Jesus' intention, to be lifted up, When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, he says in John. Jesus is the lamp. Uh, But people didn't realize that at the time. Not even his disciples really grasped who he was. His true identity was hidden, but the reason it was hidden was was so it could be revealed. So he could be revealed to the world. (coughs) Think about... Christmas presents for a minute. Meg and I did a bunch of shopping yesterday and uh, we hid the things we bought, right? That's no secret to our kids. Why did we hide them? So that they could stay hidden? And then later, probably Christmas Eve, we're going to get them all out and wrap them and they'll be hidden in the wrapping paper. Under the tree. Why do we hide them again in wrapping paper? So that they can be revealed. So that they can be opened and seen. The purpose of hiding them is not to keep them hidden, but 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 so that they can then be brought out and seen, and and revealed. And it's the same way with Jesus and with the kingdom of God. It's not hidden like. Um, <coughs> This secret mystery that nobody has access to that, that a select few might be able to, to get. It's hidden temporarily. There is a day of revelation coming. Um when when who Jesus really is will be on full display. And that has happened in part. Because now we are on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb and the writing of the New Testament when the Paul says the mystery of the gospel has been revealed in Christ. He has um, his gospel has gone out into all the earth. There is a sense in which his identity has been fully revealed, and yet Jesus remains hidden from He remains hidden enough that people can ignore him even now. (coughs) And as we'll see in the other three parables, um, the fullness of the kingdom will remain hidden until the end of history. So let's look at verses 26 through 29. (coughs) We're going to come back to verses 24 through and 25, but for now, look with me starting in 26. The Parable of the Growing Seed, it's called. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. (coughs) All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Uh, So, in this parable, just like in the parable of the sower, which we saw two weeks ago, Jesus compares the kingdom to growing seeds. And there are two things we need to see here in this parable. First, two ways that the kingdom is hidden in this process. First, he says, the kingdom of God grows by a patient process. You know, we tend to like things to be dramatic and instantaneous and big, right? And spectacular. But the kingdom is slow. God, God, um, grows his kingdom slowly, patiently. When seeds grow, think about this, when seeds grow, is it loud? Is it obvious? Is it dramatic? Is it flashy? Does it draw a crowd when a seed is growing? For, for several days, you don't even see anything happening. And then when it does, it is ever so slow and gradual and step by step. You need a time lapse video to really see what's happening. It's the same way, says Jesus, in the kingdom. If you want to see instant change and instant growth and, and instant uh, revelation of God, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> you need to sign up. You did sign up for something that takes patience. The power of the kingdom is hidden in a slow and quiet process, yet it's an unstoppable process. Second, Jesus makes it clear that human beings, we don't make the kingdom grow. Um, Look at how little the farmer does in this section. He plants the seeds and then he goes away. He doesn't watch them. Uh, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't even water them in this parable. He just sleeps, gets up, sleeps, gets up. Meanwhile, the seeds are just doing their thing, producing, uh, uh, they're germinating, and then they sprout, and then there's a stalk, and then a leaf, and then a head, and then some grain. Oh, and then he comes back, look at that, I've got a harvest. And he harvests his crop. In the same way, can I just say, this is a very large Bible. I can't seem to fit it up here on this thing. <laughs> in the same way, human beings, church leaders, pastors, Christians, we don't engineer spiritual growth. We don't plan it or make it happen or or um, even understand how it happens, right? We just see people growing in their faith. We see hearts being changed. We see... The kingdom being made manifest in God's people. Slowly, gradually, and we are assured that there will be a great and final harvest. In the Bible, the harvest is always a symbol, usually a symbol of the final judgment. When everything that the gospel has grown will be brought into the barn, so to speak. And all the bad stuff will be weeded out. That's judgment. That's the final things. So friends, this is good because it encourages us to remain faithful, even when we can't see results. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher or a parent or a grandparent or a Bible study leader or just in your job at work you think, am I really making a difference? I'm trying to follow Jesus. I'm trying to raise my kids well. I'm trying to share the gospel. I'm trying to, to honor God, but I don't see things changing. Well, someday you will see the fruit that, that was produced through you and, and the fruit that God produced in general, his crop, And maybe we'll get to see a time-lapse video of what happened through our lives. I don't know. But for now, we wait, and we faithfully and patiently follow Jesus. That's the way it works. Well, in the last parable, Jesus again uses a seed to teach us something. In this case, it's a mustard seed, which is about the size of a ballpoint pen roller. So look at that poppy seed in your hand. A mustard seed is a little bigger than that, probably two or three times as big, but that's still pretty small. It was the smallest seed that people knew about in, in Jesus' day in, in Judea. That's why he said it's the smallest seed on earth. Now, check this out. Um, Jesus is searching for a good comparison for his kingdom, for the kingdom of God. He says, what shall I say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? I know. It's this tiny little seed. (laughs) Can you imagine Jesus' campaign manager? What he would say? Sir, I, I see what you're trying to do here. But I think it would be, make more of an impact if you chose something that was a little more commanding. Like maybe the kingdom of God is like, uh, like a golden chariot being pulled by a team of stallions. Or the kingdom of God is a fortress on a city gleaming in the sun. Or the kingdom of God is, is lightning bolts from heaven. He, and he's like, plus, we have to think about your logo, sir, and a mustard seed wouldn't really look that good in a logo, <laughs> right? Why did Jesus choose something so mundane and insignificant to be a symbol of the kingdom of God? I think we need to appreciate that before we can see what he's saying, how, how strange that, that would have been. Even in the Old Testament, the, the kingdom was compared to, you know, uh, God's power and might and images of strength like the tall cedars of Lebanon or the snow-capped Mount, Mount Hermon or, you know, the mighty breakers of the ocean. And Jesus chooses a mustard seed. Now, in this passage, he's not using the mustard seed to talk about our faith. That's in a different place. This is talking about the kingdom. And here, you see, his whole point is that it's so mundane and small that you can ignore it. You can ignore it if you want to. He says in verse 32, It is like a mustard seed which... Is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Jesus's point is that is the comparison between the tiny, humble, mundane mustard seed and a very large uh, uh, tree in the end. <laughs> A mustard tree could be 10 or 12 feet tall. So not we're not talking like a huge tree in the forest, but it was the biggest tree in someone's garden. And so he's saying, it just like that, that the kingdom of God starts small and insignificant and ignorable and ends up being something unimaginably different from how it started. And there's something that that whole um, process, that whole truth, makes the kingdom hidden. Because you have to believe that this small, tiny, insignificant stuff will change into something else. I feel like I'm not being super clear, but let me try to put flesh on the bones here. When When Jesus died... What did the world see? A poor Jewish rabbi executed by the Roman government on a cross like thousands of other criminals had been executed, outside the city by the dump, and a a few Jewish followers who all scattered. Now you tell me, how is that the beginning of a world-changing movement? That is a mustard seed compared to the tree. And this is the genius, friends, of God's wisdom because God chooses the weak things to shame the strong, the, the lowly and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, says Paul, so that God, so that nobody can boast. But we know that it was God's work. That that beginning of of the Christian movement, Jesus hanging on a cross, looked like nothing. It looked laughable. And yet here we are, 2000 years later, with billions of people around the world claiming allegiance to Jesus. Right? After he rose from the dead and sent the Holy Spirit and ascended to heaven, a movement was touched off that has changed the world. And in that process is the kingdom of God. That is what the kingdom of God is like. (coughs) So here's how we can apply this to our lives now. Because this is also true on a small scale that your limits and abilities and gifts, as small as they are and as small as mine are, those aren't obstacles to God. God uses small things and insignificant things to do great things because it's by his power. (coughs) He doesn't need churches with multi-million dollar budgets. He doesn't need armies. He doesn't need political parties. He doesn't need... Nations, he just needs people who will work with him and submit to the slow and patient life of the kingdom. That, that his kingdom would grow in the re- soil of regular, ordinary people like us. So let's, let's recap, and then we'll tie this up. Um, the kingdom of God is hidden, Number one, it won't be hidden forever. It will be fully revealed. (coughs) Number two, uh, in fact, it's hidden only in order to be revealed. Number two, the kingdom is hidden in a quiet process of growth, and it is hidden by humble beginnings. There will be a day when the glory is revealed, when When the lamp is on the stand for all to see, when the harvest is finally ready, when the tree is full grown, but for now, we wait. And why is that good? Why is that good? I want to give you two reasons. First, it's good because it shows God's patience. The next time Jesus comes to earth... He will not be coming as gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He will not be ignorable. He'll be the conquering king that he is. The curtain drops on history, game over, end of story, final judgment. That's what it will be like when Jesus comes back. And at that point, everyone on earth has to answer for their lives and what they did and what they believed. But how would that have worked out for people like us? Sinful people. Think about you before you came to Christ, before you trusted Jesus. Think about the millions of other people who don't yet know Jesus in this world. That would be disaster. It is going to be disaster for sinful people with no um, defense except their own good deeds. And so... When Jesus came the first time, he came not to invade the world but to bring a peace treaty. And he signed that in his own blood that all who believe in him are forgiven and are now members of his kingdom. Their judgment has already happened. And now God is allowing time for that message, that invitation to go out into all the world so that... (coughs) people can choose to trust him. The Apostle Peter gives the same encouragement in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And here's the second reason why the hiddenness of the kingdom is good news it's good news because it allows god to give us what we desire what we want let me explain that if you want to know god if you want to understand the things of the kingdom if you want to follow jesus he will answer that desire in spades Right? Because the kingdom is hidden enough that you have to seek it. You have to come by faith. And he will reward that faith. But for those who are content to stay apathetic, superficial, or even ignore God, God will let them stay that way. And there will always be enough cause for people to say, ah, God wasn't, didn't make himself clear enough to me. That's why the kingdom is hidden, because God wants people to come to him in faith. And for people who don't want that, he lets them ignore and turn away, and he lets the kingdom remain hidden to them. Here's where we're coming back to verses 24 and 25. Jesus says, consider carefully what you hear. Consider carefully what you hear everything depends on what you do with the message that Jesus preaches. Are you going to seek the kingdom or not? He says, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. You know, in Jesus' day, people brought their own containers to the market to buy grain or oil or whatever. You didn't, you didn't buy prepackaged uh, figs. You, know, you had to bring a basket, and they'd weigh some into the basket. So he's saying, you know, whatever you get out of this depends on what you bring to it. If you bring a large container, you will leave with a large amount of knowledge and understanding of God, Right? How big is your hunger for God? How big is your desire to know him? That's the measure that you use. If you come and say, I only only want this much knowledge of God, then that's all you'll get. But if you bring your five-gallon pails and your wheelbarrows and your laundry baskets to be filled with With the knowledge and with the the, the things of God and God's blessings, He will reward that. He will fill those things up. (coughs) That's why the kingdom is hidden, because He wants people to come to Him in faith. One day the kingdom will be fully revealed for what it is. But for now, it's hidden. (coughs) I just want to close with a a quick story of this summer. I was, actually, Meg was with me. We were in Croatia. And we spent a day in the city of Split, which was the home to um, a very famous uh, palace, uh, Emperor Diocletian's Palace, this Roman emperor from the years 284 to 305. He had a massive, this thing was probably... A half a mile square of arches and, and courtyards and, um, you know, we were just seeing the ruins of it, but it used to be very impressive. So here we have this guy, Diocletian, who is one of the most powerful men in the world. Whatever he wants is on a silver platter for him. He has the entire Roman army at his command. He has uh, he's the, the head of the wealthiest uh, trade um, system in the world. <laughs> he had it all. Meanwhile, this small group of Christians had little churches throughout the Roman Empire. They didn't have buildings. They didn't have budgets. They didn't have political power. They had nothing by the world's standards, right? Right? And it was a collection of the, the most, kind of the dregs of society. The outcasts, the slaves, the day workers, all the people that, that had no power in the world. And yet, which of those two kingdoms has stood the test of time? Right? Diocletian's empire has crumbled. His very palace is now just a market, a place for tourists to visit. His empire is gone, erased off the face of the earth, but the empire of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, is still growing. So which kingdom are you going to choose? The one that is hidden, yet growing, or the things of this world that are impressive and powerful and big? I'll leave it there. Let's pray. Lord, give us faith, we pray, to come to you with a great desire to know you more and to know your kingdom more. And I pray that <laughs> your kingdom would grow in our lives and in the lives of those around us, in our community. Give us patience and and uh, give us hope as we see much evidence of your kingdom being ignored and disbelieved and rejected. I pray that we would also be encouraged by seeing evidence of your kingdom growth. So give us faith. Uh, we choose, Lord, to, uh, we choose to, to, to place our identity and our, belonging in you and your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.